God himself said, David is a man after my own heart. That's not us giving him the title, that's God giving him the title. And when you begin to see David, you see not only his courage, but you see his, his lack of character. You see for every uh, Goliath, you're gonna have a Bathsheba. For every act of compassion, there's gonna be an act of slaughtering. And we have been diving deep into this larger than life character throughout the word of God, mentioned 150 times in the Old Testament outside of his own story and 55 times in the New Testament outside of the story of David. David is a critical game changer character to understand the nature of Jesus as the one true king. David's the shadow, Jesus is the real source. And we're in week five of the shadow king. So if you're just joining us, you, you I don't want to take a whole lot of time to catch you up. I would encourage you to check out the podcast or you can go online to timbercreekchurch.com and watch or listen to these messages. I think they'll be a help to you. We try not to, thou shalt not make church boring. Uh, I don't want them to be boring messages for you or not just a history lesson. I want it to be handlebars for your everyday life. And so even though we're drilling deep into some of the, the, the nationality and the geography and the history, it all brings us to a place of applicable truth uh, of what Jesus wants to do in our life today in 2021. So I encourage you to, to take a dive with me into this series. To catch you up, we need to understand the major player on the chessboard is King David, but there's all these other all these other pieces on the chessboard. You have the nation of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel that are scattered in the promised land, that are surrounded by other enemy forces, the Amalekites and the Philistines and the, the Edomites, and, and uh, they're trying to carve out an existence. All the other nations have kings, but the 12 tribes of Israel, they're kind of doing their own thing, their own way with their own leaders. And they are God-appointed leaders called judges. And the last judge, his name is Samuel. Samuel is gonna finally listen to the, the, the tribes of Israel. They wanna be like every other tribe. They wanna be like every other nation. They say, give us a king. We wanna look like, we wanna look like the Amalekites. We wanna look like the Philistines. And Samuel's like, if you walked over a cliff and just dropped off, if they walked over a cliff, would you walk over a cliff too? They said, yes, give us a king. They just don't care. They just wanna look like everybody else. They'll be cool. And so God says to Samuel, Give them what they're asking for. So sure enough, Samuel says, you can have a king, but just know it's gonna come with a price. Uh, your boys are gonna be drafted. They're gonna die. Your, your daughters are gonna be taken from your home. You're gonna be taxed like crazy. When you're asking for this nation to be the way that you want it to be instead of the way God wants it to be, just know that trouble's gonna knock at your doorstep when you wanna do it your way. And they said, give it to us. And so, sure enough, Samuel goes out and he anoints the very first king of Israel, Saul. Saul is known as the tallest man. He's the Shaquille O'Neal of the Jews. He's the tallest guy in all of Israel. He becomes king and for 25 years he serves faithfully. But he has his own insecurities. And the truth is, any insecurity or any little thing can become big things over time. When it comes to your character, little chinks of, uh, in the armor can become big major issues over time. Little things are big things in disguise. And Saul's got major insecurity issues, major issues. And to the point where then when they're finally into battle and God is saying, hey, I want you to wipe this whole thing out. I don't want you to keep anything for yourself. Saul doesn't listen to God. He listens to his own insecurity. He listens to his own pride. He goes against the voice of God and God reprimands him and disciplines him. And Samuel comes up to Saul and in the first, first Samuel 15, he says, because you've rejected the command of the Lord, Samuel says, Saul, he has rejected you as king. Now these are hard words to hear if you're an egotist, uh, jealous driven maniac king. And as Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold on to him and hold him back. Don't leave me. And he tore the hem of his robe. And in this symbolic moment, Samuel with his bony finger turns back around and points that finger in his face and says, the Lord has torn the kingdom from, of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. And sure enough, the very next chapter, Samuel leaves Saul and this is the major problem between Samuel or Saul and David is the overlap of public appearance and private reality. 
public appearance, Saul is still going to walk around like he's the king. But the emperor got no clothes. The emperor's got no anointing. He's going to walk around like he's the king, but God has lifted his hand of anointing and protection off of King Saul. But he still wants to act and look and, because he's driven by the pride of the, of the position. Meanwhile, Samuel goes out to a man named Jesse's home who's got eight sons. And, and he says, I want to bring all your boys up here. I'm going to anoint one of them to be the king. And Jesse's like, no way. And Samuel says, Yahweh. And, and then he brings them all together. And these seven sons come in front, strapping young men. The first one walks up, bodybuilder, eight pack. What's up? Uh, 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 uh. And Samuel thinks, oh, this has got to be the guy. Why? Because 25 years ago, he got the strongest, most handsome, most eight-pack abs guy. And God's, God says, no, 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 no. Here's an important lesson. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. And I want you to drill deep on that t- today because the Lord doesn't see things the way you see it. You see things with eyesight, but he's inviting you to see in a different layer. He, he invites you to see with faith, with insight. Eyesight is what everything I can see here. Insight is, is, is what God reveals from the inside out. And he's saying, I, I don't see things the way you see it. My ways are higher. My, my vision's better and stronger. And people judge by outward appearance all the time. But I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the heart. And sure enough, one by one, the, the, the buffest and the st- smartest and the most culinary expert uh, of all the seven sons, finally they get to the end and Samuel's a little confused. He's a little uh, flabbergasted. He's like, are these all the sons you got? And Jesse's like, well, there's, you know, the other one, Davy. You know, a few years ago, my wife and I had a surprise and here was David. And uh, you sure you want me to bring David? He's like, he's, he's a teen, he's a teenager, he's in middle school. He's, uh, he's out with the sheep, smell, kind of smells funny. He's unique too. He's, he's you know, he's, we love him. We love, we do. Don't we love him, Mrs. Jesse? We love him, we love him. But he's a strange child. Right? He carries a, a banjo everywhere and he's always got these big stories and he's always writing these lyrics that are kind of like, you know, woo-woo and hide me in the shelter of your wing. I don't know. He's just, he's David. And Samuel says, you bring that boy right here. None of us are sitting down until I see that kid standing in this living room right next to that coffee table. And sure enough, they go and they grab David and he comes in, dragging his banjo, tousled hair, sunburned uh, uh, nose, pimply, pimply face. Says, Y'all want me? Do Y'all need me, Paul, Ma? And there Samuel is and he sees what God sees in that moment and he, he uncorks the, the bottle and he pours the oil over David. And as David stood among his brothers, Samuel took that olive oil he brought, poured it upon David's head. And the spirit of Jehovah, the spirit of God, came upon him and gave him great power from that day onward. We would see that power unleashed in the very next chapter when we get there in a couple of weeks. Face to waist <laughs> with a giant, we see God's power on him all through the rest of his story. And what happens next? Does Samuel then begin to show him the rope? Yeah, Samuel takes him out to the barn and he's making him chase chickens and he's drinking raw eggs early in the morning and he's, he's running up the steps of Jerusalem. You know, he's, he's doing all these things like Rocky Balboa. No, no, the next scripture is Samuel then left. He returned to Ramah. He grabbed his keys, got in his Mini Cooper and left. He's out. He's Roadrunner. Beep, beep, and David is left with an anointing, with, with seven brothers who are like, you don't even know. Samuel doesn't even know. He's left with this anointing to be king. He don't even know what that means. There is a king. What do you mean I'm the king? There's a king. That feels like treason. Jesse and Mrs. Jesse are like, we got to keep this on the DL, everybody, because we don't want like trouble coming to our doorstep if we start saying our son's the next king. That's treason. But he's got to go into a process of waiting. And last week, we ended with this thought, and I told you we would unpack it today. So let me remind you of it. You can write it down in your notes. God's word for your today doesn't mean your destiny arrives tomorrow. Sometimes God speaks, hey, it's going to be okay. Hey, I'm going to provide. Hey, don't you worry. Something's going to happen. You need to trust me. I'm going to open the door. And you're expecting to all of a sudden hear the the door open. But sometimes the door that he says is going to open today doesn't open until a while later. 
So today, what we're really wanting to talk about is the fact that you and I, we have to deal with waiting. Thank you for the sound effects. That was good. Leave the sound effects to me, everybody, okay? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We hate to wait. True or false? Okay, true or false? You've ever, you, you, you have, have, okay, you have driven through the parking lot of a gas station to beat a red light. True or false? Anybody? Okay, yeah, yeah. You're illegal. There's cops in the room. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. That's illegal. You don't do that. Um, yellow light goes from green to yellow. It doesn't mean caution for you. It means speed up and get through, right? True or false? Okay. Um, you are strategic like a game of risk and, and who sunk my battleship when it comes to walking up to the Walmart checkout lines, even self-checkout, you are as strategic, as sly, as a thought, looking for who's got what, how old are they, how fast are they moving, are they texting, are they looking at something, do they have AirPods in their ears? You are strategic because you don't want to wait. You hate to wait. You want it fast. And you and I live in a fast paced, can't wait culture where we will forsake our health in order to get fast food. Where we can't just send something in the mail over time. We gotta pay for express mail. We cannot wait for someone to respond to our text whenever. So all of a sudden a bubble comes up and there's these three little Fingers of the devil. <laughs> answer, answer, answer. What are you saying? They don't like it. They're taking too long. They must not agree with what I said. Oh man, I'm gonna have to face this conflict. What's going on? Answer the tag. That's where we live. We have cell phones that companies, their name is Sprint. You can't just do your bills. You got to use the software called Quicken. And if you really want to swim fast, you got to wear a Speedo. So I went with some friends to, to Mexico uh, a, a few months ago, and they said to me, we dare you to buy a Speedo in the gift shop and swim around, swim around the, the community pool as it's all-inclusive thing. And, and uh I said, don't dare me. They said, well, you, we dare you. So I bought it and I did it. They took a picture without me knowing. And here's the picture of, uh, I, of course I didn't do that. <laughs> do you think for a, what? I don't want to grow this church down to three people. <laughs> and all three, none of them would be my family. I promise you. They'd be like, we out, we out. <laughs> All right, here's what I'm trying to say. Waiting is a reality of life and it really has to do with you being here and you wanna go there and the space between is the waiting. Unfortunately, the waiting that we deal with is not uh, linear like that. It's not just like A, B, C, D, all the way to Z. Many times you're waiting like my waiting feels like this. It's an up and down, it's a challenge, it's a... It's a stirring up. It's a, I got far and then I had to back up. I, I thought I was gonna make it and then I had to stop. And we're dealing with this, this waiting that hurts, this waiting that's wondering, this waiting that doesn't come with the answers we wish we would have. And you're gonna struggle to find any character in the Bible that didn't have to wait. They didn't have to wait. So, so the question is, why all? Why all the waiting? Why doesn't God give it to us today and then bring it to us tomorrow? Well, write it down. Waiting equals becoming. Waiting equals becoming. And there is a plan of God where in the waiting, there's a beautiful gift he uses in waiting. You know, he uses suffering. Suffering can be a tool God uses. You know, your pain can be a megaphone, C.S. Lewis says. Your pain can be a megaphone for others to hear the good news. We don't like that. 
We would prefer a megaphone to not be through the pain, but to be through the joy. But you know, even the book of Hebrews, the author says, for Jesus, his joy to, com- to be complete, he endured, he went, through the, he went through the cross. He went through the pain of the cross. Well, pain and waiting and suffering and waiting and waiting and waiting, all of that, you're becoming somebody. He's still producing something in you. The moment you plant the seed and it's buried and it germinates and it begins to produce the tree, you wait for the fruit. You wait for it, but there's, there's roots that are growing. There's stability that's taking place in the waiting process. Now, here's the good, the bad, and the ugly on it. The good thing is waiting equals becoming, and you can become more like Christ in his character, conduct, and convictions. But also, as you wait, you can become more cynical and critical. You can become more rude. You can become bitter. You can, you can become uh, reliant on your own strength and your own answers and your own wisdom versus God's. You can, rely, you can rely on man's common sense versus God's uh, divine direction. So you can become completely reliant on yourself. Waiting equals becoming. So what I want to encourage you to do today is embrace the wait. Embrace it. Because when we don't embrace it, that's when we're taking the shortcut to our own understanding. Courtney, one of our team uh, when we uh, did the shift from worship into the message today, she talked about Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, that, that uh, trust the Lord with the first fruits of your crops and your barns will be overflowing and your vats will overflow with, with, with wine. The, the couple of scriptures before that is more popular to us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways yield to him and he will make your path straight. That whole trusting him and leaning not on our own understanding, waiting is a beautiful uh, tool for getting us to truly trust and surrender and lean not on our own understanding. So embracing the weight is embracing trust. Embracing a higher understanding. Embracing a higher way. Now here's what we do though. Here's what we do. There are three bad assumptions we make when we wait. Three bad assumptions. Okay. You do it. I do it. I've done it. If I don't catch myself, I'll do them again. Three bad assumptions we make when we wait. Here's bad assumption number one. If I know what I should do, I'm ready to do it. It's what kid would say, I can do it myself. I can do it myself. I know what I should do. I'm ready to do it. The teenager, let me live my life. You know what? You know what I love? I love when a 14-year-old says to me, I'm just so busy right now. It's like, oh, all the stuff I'm carrying. You're like, oh, you don't even know. You haven't even paid a bill. Right, mamas? Right, mama? You don't even know, mom. I'm just so crazy, so busy. I got all this school and Snapchat to keep up with. But all of a sudden, the older we grow, and listen, we're designed. If you're feeling tension with your teenager, that's a good thing. That's a good thing because they're in the waiting. Waiting equals becoming. They're waiting to be in charge, and they ain't in charge yet. And there's this challenge in that. And they're pushing the envelope, and they're pushing the limits, and they're the baby chick that's like, trip, 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 trip. And eventually, you're going to go, okay, bye. And you're going to drop them out of the nest, and they're going to go, whoa. And, and it's, but that's a waiting process. And it takes a while. But if I know what I should do, I'm ready to do it. Hey, you may know how to reproduce. It don't mean you're ready to reproduce. <laughs> I know what I do. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. Okay, you know what to do, but you're probably not ready to do it. Okay. Here's what happens with David. He's anointed king as a middle schooler, maybe a freshman in high school. In the next chapter, he's going to kill the giant. Well, when he knows what to do, everybody else on the battlefield is cowering and fearful. Even the king himself wants him to wear his armor so he looks like he's the king out there destroying the giant. So he knows what to do. He knows what to do. I'm going to stand against adversaries and I'm going to be anointed by the power of God. And I come with you, not with a sling and not with a stone, but under the name of the Lord, my God. He knows what to do but he's not ready to be king. You would think he's ready to be king, but actually it's gonna take a while for him to become king. It's gonna take 15 years from the time he's anointed to the time he's crowned to truly become king of Israel. 
But in that, there's muscles that are being developed. There's wisdom that's being honed. Write it down. A season of waiting is never a wasted season. A season of waiting is never a wasted season when you have the right perspective. So let me give you a little caveat to that. Just maybe jot it under that note. A season of waiting is never a wasted season (laughs) unless you waste it. (laughs) Unless you choose to go internal, unless you choose to focus on your insecurities and and those those areas of of you wanting to be able to have the last word, put the last word in edgewise, for you wanting to have control. Season of waiting is never a wasted season unless you waste it. But when it's dedicated to God and surrendered to God and say, okay, God, you're gonna strengthen, you're gonna encourage, I'm gonna be who you want me to be. David, when he's anointed, he goes out and he's still writing music. He's still tending to sheep. He's, he's not saying, man, I was anointed. I ought to, I'm not gonna be picking up manure anymore from these sheep. I'm not gonna shear any sheep. I ought, be, I ought to be shooting bows and arrows. I ought to be killing giants. And No, he just, he was humble and he trusted and he served and he surrendered and he was becoming who God wanted him to become. Bad assumption. If I know what to do, I'm ready to do it. No, you're not. Sometimes waiting is a process. Bad assumption number two. The longer I wait, the less active God is in my life. I had to wait for this. Where, where are you, God? God's not showing up. I thought he was a good God. God's good when he shows up, but when he doesn't show up, where is God? Do you know that even David had to wrestle with some of this? In Psalm chapter 59, the 59th Psalm, David pins the words, wake up, God. See what is happening and help me. Now, is God asleep, yes or no? No, no, no. Like he's like some out of shape, middle-aged jogger in a velvet track suit, you know? (gasps) Sorry, I just taking a nap in the back, in the back office. <laughs> What'd you need? No, God's not asleep. That's his impression. Here's another impression from Psalm 143. Answer me quickly, Lord, you're not quick enough for me. My spirit's failing. Don't, don't hide your face from me. Let the morning bring a whole me word of your unfailing love for I've put my trust in you. Had he really put his trust in him? He had put his trust in God, but he was really trusting on his own timeline and when my timeline and the sovereignty of God don't jive, it, deal, it, 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 it jacks up my trust. Even the disciples who were in the flesh with Jesus, I mean, they, they, they slept around a campfire with him. They saw him heal blind eyes. They, they listened to him and his words just flowed and they were like, man, this guy, he's so, he's so full of wisdom and he's turning water into to wine and uh, I was looking for a Mother's Day card the other day and I've, I came across a card and it's a cop stopping a priest in a car it's the front of the image and it says father have you been drinking and in the front of it says no officer I, I only I've only been drinking water and it opens up and and the, the officer says then why is there wine in that glass? And, and the father says, good Lord, he's done it again. <laughs> Man, I was in a serious moment too. I'm sorry. That's my ADD. Oh, bird. Okay. The disciples were hanging out with Jesus, seeing all these beautiful things happen, all these things. And yet they were impatient. They wanted God to do certain things. They wanted it to happen. There's this time where they get out on a boat and they're going through Galilee and the storm hits and Jesus is napping. Jesus is taking a sleep. Jesus is on a Mike Lindell, my pillow and just enjoying the comfort of the bowels of the boat. And they're bailing water. They're bailing water. And Jesus, <laughs> one of the disciples finally steps up and says, here's what he says, Jesus, Don't you care that we're drowning? Don't you even care? When you're in a tragedy, when you're in a crisis, when you're waiting, it can feel like Jesus is asleep on the job. We will feel like he doesn't even care. 
But let me remind you of something. Write it down. My feelings are not facts about God. Now, my feelings are not facts about God. You feel like he didn't show up. You didn't see him. You didn't see him, but he's there. He's, he never will leave you or forsake you. His mercies are new every morning. There's, not a, there's no way God could forgive me. Oh, your feelings are not facts about God. There's no way that he would wash that away. There's no way he would give me a 17th chance. <laughs> your feelings are not facts about God. And maybe you're feeling like you're having to bail water or you're having to wait for the answer. Or you're waiting for finally Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright to come along. And I want you to know God's delays are not God's denials. But his delays are a systematic opportunity for you to embrace the wait because waiting equals becoming. All throughout scripture, people having to wait so that they could become. Abraham is promised children and then Abraham is given Isaac. In the middle of all that, he wants to do it himself on his own time, in his own way. He gets impatient with the waiting process. And so he gets with Hagar, the maidservant. They have Ishmael. Ishmael and Isaac are the result of today's turmoil in the Middle East. They still wrestle because they couldn't wait. Because they couldn't wait. And Ishmael became a nation. Israel became a nation through Isaac. And we're dealing still with the consequences of not being able to become who God had planned them to become. And Abraham, once he said, you're gonna be a father of many nations, Abe, it was 24 years before that promise came. God's word for your today doesn't mean your destiny arrives tomorrow, so stop trying to take it into your own hands. Hey, Nehemiah has a vision to repair the walls of Jerusalem. They're in rubble, they're smoking, they're, they're in ash. And the, by the time Nehemiah actually repairs the city walls, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes four months. And that's a shorter timeline, but it still takes some waiting. Joseph, one of the sons of Israel, he is uh, thrown into a well, sold into slavery, goes into Potiphar's house, deals with a crazy cougar, Mrs. Potiphar, who wants, wants to hang out with Joseph by the pool one day, and he won't have it, and he runs out. She accuses him of, of, of uh, sexual misconduct. He's thrown into prison, and later he will become the lieutenant governor of Egypt. Later he'll become over the palace, but that takes 13 years, and he's gotta go from a pit and into Potiphar's house and into prison before he ever hits the palace. Jesus is in a manger. Jesus goes into ministry. He's got a waiting period of 30 years. Jesus himself waits 30. I wonder when he was 14, if he walked by a, a sick man on the road and he would stop and say, mom, hang on. And he would have a conversation with his heavenly father. Is now the time. And his heavenly father would say, not yet, not yet. He has to be about his father's business at 12, but I wonder if there were times where he was just ready to get out there and, and preach and teach. And he, I wonder if, he ever, wonder if he ever made his brothers jealous by like walking on the pool, you know, on summer. <laughs> he's like, ah, like, oh, not yet. And then he went ahead and sank. What I'm trying to say is there's a biblical formula. I've figured it out. I've, I've uh, uh, crossed the T's and dotted the I's. There is a mathematical equation you can have now that can be in your toolbox for how you can deal with weights. Here's the biblical formula. You're gonna have to wait somewhere between four months and 40 years. Okay, you're welcome. That, that, that's the formula. You're gonna have to wait and it's gonna be little, it's gonna be a lot, it's gonna be a whole lot, but you gotta embrace the wait because waiting equals becoming. Bad assumption number three. Are you still with me so far? Bad assumption number three that we make when we wait. If I don't see God working, maybe his ways don't work. Um, I, I know God said, wait for the right one, but I'm not getting any younger. And many times we'll even see in the story of David David has the potential to settle for second best instead of waiting for God's choice for him. He has the opportunity. And we'll see how he navigates that in a few weeks. If I don't see God working, maybe his ways don't work when it comes to my marriage. Oh, here's one that we do. Like kindness leads to repentance and like humble yourselves before the Lord. If ever there's been a lesson in a lack of humility, it's been in this whole political thing we've been living through in the last few years. 
in the last few months and we're still living in? Because we want to take control. We want to, no, if we don't stand up, we're going to be silenced. We will not. And we think that the louder we yell and the louder we scream, the louder we complain, we should be engaged. We should be involved in the political spectrum. But to forsake the words of God and the ways of God in order for us to take on our own version of how God should be working in our great states right now, that, that's, that's assuming that his ways don't work because that's just not the culture we live in. God's ways work no matter what culture you live in. God's ways work. Look at Daniel. He was in a crazy upside down culture and yet he followed the ways of God and he was blessed beyond measure. But what we have wanted to do is wanted to swap out and make an exchange of we're gonna, we wanna be like all the other people. And so if they're gonna yell and, 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 and do it this way and you know, treat us this way, we're gonna treat them that way. And that's not the way of God. If, if I don't see God working, maybe his ways don't work. So I'm gonna take matters into my own hands in marriage, in relationships, in addictive behaviors, in making choices. And so here, here, here's here, here's there, and God's plan is my will, my way, and in my time. That's what God says. But we say, oh, waited too long. It's gotta be my will, my way, in my time. And so what is waiting really all about? Is it just waiting is becoming? Here, here, let me show you what waiting is really becoming. Waiting is really about who is in control. So what is waiting about? Waiting is becoming, becoming reliant upon the strength and hand of God versus reliant upon the strength and hand of you. Who is really gonna be in control? As parents, we want to control our kids when really our calling is to guide our kids. Our, our, our calling is to aim our children. You can't control an arrow once it's left the bow. They, they, they've got, they are arrows with the mind of them, on themselves. Arrows with minds. And, and what you do is you guide and you aim and you point. And you can't, you can't control that. But we want to, don't we? We want to control them, either whether they lift or, or, or in a decision they're about ready to make. No, don't make that decision. We got to figure out this, this delicate waiting and becoming and dance that we have with, with, with being overseeing of our, of our children, but also releasing and surrendering and, and not being totally in control because truly there's only one that's truly in control and that's God. But here's the, here's, you can kind of write this down in your notes somewhere. Heightened vulnerability. When we're waiting, we feel vulnerable. We feel exposed. We, we feel open. We feel a little naked. Our vulnerability is heightened when we're waiting. And on top of that, when you add in a diminishing sense of control, so we're vulnerable and we feel like we're losing control, that develops fear. And fear... Fear will choke out. Fear is the antithesis of faith. Fear is the counterfeit that the enemy would want you to live in. You will, you will have faith in your fear and in your sense of vulnerability and, and diminishing sense of control. You'll, in fear, that replaces what faith is meant to do as you wait. And we see this all happen in two different ways when it comes to our two key characters here, Saul and David. When the scripture said, Samuel returned to Ramah, David goes back to the shepherd's pasture. He goes back to the harp and to the sheep and, and to the shepherd's crook, the, thy staff and thy rod. He's doing his own thing, waiting for the timing of God. But the story goes on. The very next scripture doesn't have to do with David. It has to do with Saul. And here's what happens with Saul. So the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. And instead, the Lord had sent a a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and, and fear. Now, let me explain this to you because you could, you could misunderstand this and think that the author is saying that uh, God has evil spirits that he puts on people. That's not, that's not what he's saying. You, you have to understand the whole word of God 
to take into context moments like this that are difficult scriptures to understand. So what we see here is happening is Saul, God's hand is lifted off of Saul. God's hand is lifted and Saul is vulnerable. Saul is susceptible to attack. The same way that the devil went to God in the book of Job and Job was wealthy and healthy and wise and, and uh, the devil said, the only reason Job serves you is because he has all these good things. And so what does God do? God lifts his hand and he gives allowance for the devil to test uh, Job. And yet Job stays faithful. There are opportunities where God, in order to strengthen you, there may be this moment of vulnerability that you learn from. God has allowance to allow that hand to come off so there's a lesson to be learned. So what's happening is the void that was filled with the spirit of God is now being filled with his insecurities, his emotions, um, uh, the enemy coming in like a flood. And he is feeling depressed and he is feeling insecure and he's been told he's no longer king and he's having to keep that under wraps. He's having to keep that a secret. He's having to stand there and, and on his chariot and ride into the city of Gibeah, this capital city at the time. And, and everybody's like, King Saul, you're the best. God be with King Saul. And he, in the back of his mind, has got the tape recorder rolling. The, the, the kingdom is ripped out of your hands, out of your He's sleeping at night and all he sees is the bony finger of Samuel. Someone's better than you, better than you, better than you. Wakes up in a cold sweat, cannot sleep. He's grumpy, he's, he's mad, he's oppressed. He won't eat his food. He's, he's just like, his, he, he, he's, got, he's, got no, he's got no job, he's got no life. His, 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 his birds, are, heads are falling off. Anyway, I'm sorry, that's an old dumb and dumber quote. So, um, He's, he's just feeling bad. So some of his guys, some of his guy friends, his armor bearers, his, his aides, you know, they see him. They're like, oh, King Saul's down in the dumps. He's kind of like negative Nelly right now. And so some of Saul's aides suggested a cure. Can I tell you how quickly people want to take the cure suggested to them on Facebook these days? He says, hey, we got an idea for you. We were looking on Pinterest and we were checking out Facebook and there's this guy that's got a bunch of likes and his videos have gone viral before. And here, here's what we'll do. We're gonna find a good harpist to play for you whenever the tormenting spirit is bothering you, they said. The harp music will quiet you and you'll soon be well again. Can I just be honest? We're living in a different day because the last thing I think of is I am depressed, I am tired, I cannot sleep. I know, have someone play a harp in my ear. Nevertheless, things are different when you're in Israel. So Saul says, okay, fine. Find me a harpist. Nothing else is working. So one of them said, now here's where God brings the two together in a God way. One of them said, hey, 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 I know a young fellow in Bethlehem. You do? Yeah, 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 he's this young guy. He's the son of a man named Jesse. He's not only a talented harp player, but get this, Saul, the dude is handsome and he's brave and he's strong and he's got good, solid judgment. He's like, what more could you want for your, for your daughters? What's more, the Lord is with him. Saul doesn't even know it. Saul won't even know it until later that they are describing the one who's gonna take his place. How ironic. And do you know what's beautiful? The anointing of God is attractive. Uh, ladies, let me talk to you for a second. Let me talk to the ladies. Single ladies. All the single ladies. Let me talk to you for a second. Do not date a guy because he says he's a Christian. That doesn't mean anything. Date a guy when he says, when, when he looks like and acts like Jesus. When, 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 his, when he responds in a way that is Christ-like, date that guy. No, doesn't matter what the color of his eyes are. If he says he's a Christian, that don't, that, don't, that don't mean a thing, okay? If he acts like Jesus, that's what you're after. That's what you're after because there's something attractive about the Lord being with them. There's something attractive about that. Yes, one person. I know, that's my man. That's my man. You're like, that needs to be my man. That needs to be you. Are you hearing the pastor today? <laughs> so Saul sent messengers to Jesse asking that he send his son David the shepherd 
And Jesse responded by sending not only David, but a young goat and a donkey carrying a load of food and wine. Like he packs this donkey up and takes it to him. And from the instant he saw David, Saul admired and loved him. There was something attractive about David. There was something special about David. Even Saul, little did he know, this was his successor. And yet he loved him and admired him. There was something special about him. And David became his bodyguard. I'm sorry, two, two Red Bulls today is too much. <laughs> note to self, note to self. Saul wrote to Jesse, hey, please let David join my staff. I'm very fond of him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp and Saul would feel better and the evil spirit would go away. Now, as we wrap up today, do you know that you and I have a posture while we wait? Well, here's a, like when a kid is waiting for something, and they come to you like a five or a six-year-old. Can I have your phone? Can I have your phone? Can I have your phone? Give me your phone. Give me your phone. I'm in a conversation. Just wait. Can I have a phone? Phone. Phone. Can I have your phone? 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 I just have your phone. I want to show you something. I want to show you something. Please. Kids have a posture for wait while waiting. You have a posture while waiting. You know, if you start waiting too long, you start giving the signals. You look to, you, you, you look to someone else that's waiting as well and you give them the lizard look. This is like, here it is, ready? I'm going to Here's one my wife does. She says she doesn't do it, but she's, she does. Here it is. That's it. That's like. You're waiting in a doctor's office. You're waiting at Walmart. You're waiting at the post office. And there's like. <clears throat> Well, how long have you been waiting? Or, or you have a posture when someone, it looks like they're gonna cut you in line. You're like. <laughs> you know how it is. Getting off of a plane and all those seatbelt buckles. Click, 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 Everybody stands up. They ain't going anywhere for 74 minutes. <laughs> and then you got the guy in the back. I'm late for a flight. I'm like, shut up and sit down. We're all going somewhere but our posture. So what is, Saul's, what is Saul's posture while waiting? What is, his, what is his waiting here? The anointings left, we saw it as we read it. Saul's focus was on his feelings and fear. And if you want to model after Saul, let your feelings become facts. Let the fear dictate your future. Here's another thing that Saul did that we can so easily do. It can become our posture in waiting. Saul sought only external remedies for an internal issue. Listen, you need the kind of friends that are not gonna give you the easy external answer all the time. Because sometimes your issues have nothing to do with an external remedy. They have to do with you and Jesus, and you need people in your life. It's why, it's why we need one another as a church. Because sometimes somebody needs to say, that's not, the, that's, that's, that's not the way of God for you, man. That's not his word. That doesn't align. You need people in your life that will iron, sharpen, iron. Sometimes sparks fly when iron, all the time sparks fly when iron sharpens iron. But you have to have those people close enough they won't just say, well, you just tell them. You tell them like it is. And so what we do is an external remedy. We gossip. It's an external remedy for an internal issue. We, we grab onto a prescription medicine and we abuse it because it's an external remedy for an internal issue. We, we jump to a conclusion. It's an external remedy for an internal 
issue. Saul, I wonder had he humbled himself and prayed and surrendered and repented, what would have happened to the internal issue with him? What, how God, how might God could have rewritten that story? Because God is all about rewriting stories, everybody. He's all about before he plays wipeout, he provides a way out. That's how, he, that's how he operates. And you know what? Saul got some relief, but his relief didn't last. The harp would play, he would feel good. Then the harp was gone and the torment would come. If you're relying on the external remedy, many times that's how we treat church. I'm gonna get my praise on gonna get to church, I need to get me some Jesus and coffee, Jesus and coffee, that's what I need. And it's an external remedy for an internal issue that's more relational and process, next steps versus a momentary feeling. Saul's posture is not the posture we want. What's the proper posture while waiting? What's the proper posture? Here they are, four simple things that are a lot easier to preach, a lot harder to live, I know. Number one, don't be afraid. Hey, listen, that sounds easier said than done, pastor, <laughs> because there's a lot going on. There's just, there's, just, there's just a lot happening. Don't be afraid, what do you mean? If you will take the right perspective on this, it will come more naturally. Let me show you what I mean. There is not a mom or a dad worth their salt that when your young child comes to you in the middle of the night, I had a bad dream, I had a bad dream. <laughs> I had a nightmare and it was just happening. I was being chased. And, 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 and parents, you're not gonna say, oh, shut up, you're not a dream. Obviously, nobody's in here. You're fine. No, nobody's in your closet. Shut up and go to bed. No, 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 no. A mom and a dad with a young child. Now, I mean, if they're 27 and they're coming into your room, <laughs> there may be some other issues at play that we need to talk about, okay? Okay, okay. But when they're a, a kid... When they're a kid, you ever had those dreams? Somebody's chasing you and you get up to run and you can't run. It's like you've forgotten to run. Just me? Okay, I need to talk to my counselor. Talk to my counselor about that one. That's the counselor calling me on the phone right now. <laughs> Let's unpack that today. No, as a parent, you scoop them up. You say, hey, hey, shh, 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 it's okay. Daddy has bad dreams too. Mommy, mommy's had bad dreams too. It's okay, come on. I'll take you where you need to go. Trust me. Come on. I've got your hand. Let's get a drink of water. Come on. I, I, come with me. Come, you want the light on? I'll turn the light on. Trust me. It's okay. And that kid will scoop up into those parents' hands and trust them and listen to them. And it may take them a while to go to sleep, but you know what that mom or dad does also? Lays down with them and scratches their back and rubs their head and whispers songs over them. Look, you're a kid. In the whole scheme of things, God is the parent and you are the kid. You're the kid. And so of course you're gonna be afraid and of course you're gonna struggle and of course you're not gonna know. And God is the parent. And he knows and he sees and he understands in ways that you don't see and you don't know and you don't understand. So you have to trust his good hands. That in the middle of the night when the waiting is more than you can bear, he will scoop you up and he will be with you in the middle of waiting and waiting equals becoming. David says, wait patiently for the Lord, be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently before the Lord. Sandwiched in between the bravery and courage is gonna be waiting. And so you gotta re-up on the bravery, re-up on the courage, don't be afraid. Number two, be willing to change your perspective. Saul couldn't change his perspective. All he could hear was the words that drove his insecurity and his pride. But David began to have another perspective, to serve and to humbly trust the, a king that was gonna be out to get him. My grandma has been in heaven for several years now. And when she was younger, um, middle-aged, middle she dealt with major anxiety to the point where she had to, to leave home and get medical care for several weeks because of her, her anxiety and, and worry. And one thing that helped her in the process was after she got back home, she would begin to write on little post-it notes a scripture every single day 
For years and years and years, she would write one scripture on a post-it note every single day. When she passed away, we collected all of her stuff. And, and a few years ago, on a Mother's Day, my mom, we were all together with my mom, and she had brought all of us together, and she had found hundreds and hundreds of these post-it notes. And she, on Mother's Day, handed these scriptures that were my grandma's scriptures. They were her go-to change of perspective. When she would feel anxious in the home, she would put that scripture on the window. When she was anxious, as she, was, she would go to that scripture and place it on the refrigerator. She always had those scriptures with her around the house. And my mom gave me this post-it note. It was dated June 5th, 1989, Lamentations 326, a scripture my grandma wrote to help change her perspective. It's good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It's good. It's good for you to hope and quietly wait. God's gonna come through everybody and you can take it to the bank and you can trust him in the middle of your waiting. Even the father, the earthly father of Jesus himself, Cody, help me out. Even the father of, the, the earthly father of Jesus himself, he had to deal with this whole process, this posture of waiting. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That's an awkward Starbucks conversation. I'm pregnant. Who is the father? The Holy Spirit. What? Joseph leaves, changes his Facebook status to, you know, relational status to it's complicated. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he knew what he should do, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I, I don't want to embarrass her, but I don't want to marry her. He, he had waited his whole life for the right one. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Do you see? Don't be afraid. It's part of the process. What's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's gonna give birth to a son. You're gonna give him the name Jesus because he's gonna save his people because the word Jesus means savior. All this took place. He had to change his perspective. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin's gonna conceive and give birth and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Joseph shows us, don't be afraid. Be willing to change your perspective. Trust his word. Trust his word given to you. His word doesn't return void. His word fills the void when you're waiting. And you know what, number four, because Emmanuel, God with us, you don't have to wait alone. You don't have to wait alone. God is always with you. But let me conclude with this. Let me ask you a question, honest question. You ready, everybody? Here's the honest question for you and for me. Who are we in this story? Who are we in this story? I know who you want to be and I know who I wanna be. Okay, okay. I wanna be David. I wanna be David, the shepherd boy who trusts God and is anointed and is faithful and is humble and empowered and handsome and brave and strong. I wanna be David, but I'm not David in the story. Because there's one hero in the story, everybody, and it's Jesus. And every single story that has a hero in the Bible, it's ultimately God's way of showing all these heroes come and go, but there is one hero that remains steadfast and strong and courageous and conquer everything in every way for all eternity. And it's my son, and I planned it before the foundations of the earth were formed, that he was gonna come and live a perfect, sinless life, die an excruciating death, all for you. There's only one hero of the story, and it ain't even David. David is the shadow of the one true hero. Jesus is the hero of the story. You and I, I know, I know, I know, I don't like it either, but you and I, we are Saul. We, we, we try to get it together. We try to do it on our own. Look, Saul sinned against God. Saul sinned against God, and we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have disobeyed. We all have not followed his commands. And do you know what God did with Saul? God rejected Saul. But let me show you something because of the hero in the story isn't just David. The hero in the story is the one true king that will come, the son of David, Jesus Christ himself. 
Yes, we have sinned against God, but God doesn't reject you and me because of our sin. God rejected Jesus. God takes the one true King, not King Saul who was rejected. He rejects his own son. He places the torment and the depression and the heaviness and the intensity and the shame and the guilt all upon his own son because he wants to show you, I rejected Saul, I'll never reject you. In fact, I'll reject my own son who will then give you a greatest gift of soothing and comfort. And it's not gonna be from a harp, it's gonna be from a cross because I'm gonna comfort your, I'm gonna comfort your weariness. I'm gonna give you care when you don't feel cared for. I'm gonna wash your sin away by the cost that is gonna be paid by my one and only son. I'm gonna reject him temporarily so that you don't ever have to be rejected like Saul was rejected because he's the one true king. And so when we are restless and we are fearful and we are waiting, Jesus meets us where we are and he has a song that he sings over you, music that he plays over you, a voice that will soothe you in the middle of your darkest tormented depression. No matter what you have faced, no matter what you are facing, no matter how long you've been waiting, Jesus will enter into the inner courts of your kingdom and he will come to where you are and he will meet you with the right words at the right time, with the right salve for the right wound because that's who we're talking about. We're not talking about David. We're talking about Jesus, the one true anointed King that conquers health, death, hell, and the grave, everybody. So, what are you gonna do when the circle of death, the frustrating circle of waiting hits your family, hits your heart hits your hurt, hits that wound, hits the situation, hits the finances, hits the circumstance, and you're waiting. Well, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, and some trust in their own abilities and handsomeness and bravery and courage, but we're gonna trust in the Lord, our God. And even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, even when you don't know it, He is still working both locations would you stand with me would you stand with me right where you are and you know what we're going to sing this together come on let's declare these words as a prayer and as an act of worship today come on let's sing this together now even when i don't see it you work even when i don't feel it you work Let that be your prayer today. Come on. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. Even when I don't see it. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Yeah. Come on. Tell him who he is. Before we hand it over to our campus hosts there in Nacogdoches, I wanna pray for our campuses today. Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? And it may be that the waiting that's happening right now is Jesus is waiting on you now. He's waiting on you to relinquish control, to step in, to not be afraid. He's not mad at you, but he doesn't force himself upon you either. He's waiting on your invitation. The Bible says he stands at the door and knocks. And maybe that's you today. He's been standing and waiting for you. And your next step would simply be open the door. Open the door. And you say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I surrender to you today. 
I don't even know all my next steps, but I do know I don't want to control this on my own. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough. I don't have what it takes. I need you in my life. And you would say, thank you, Jesus, for meeting me right here at the door of my heart. I surrender to you. And I give you today and tomorrow. Help me, Jesus. And I want to pray for everybody in the room. You're struggling with maybe the season between here and there. You're dealing with that space between what has been said and what is coming. God, I just pray that as we walk palms up with you, as we walk eyes open and hearts open to what you wanna say and what you wanna do and how you want to move, God, have your way and we're gonna trust you. And and it is so easy for us to wanna take the reins or, or slide over and grab the steering wheel. Yet again, we say, God, we surrender. We trust in you with all our heart. We're not gonna lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we're gonna yield to you and we will trust that you will make the path straight. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God and everybody everywhere said, amen.